You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey everyone, this week we're giving away a six-month subscription to leadquizzes.com valued at $300. Leadquizzes helps you create interactive lead generation quizzes to help you grow your email list. This is the same software I use to generate over 20,000 leads for my business in 2017. For a chance to win, subscribe to the podcast, then take a snapshot or picture showing your subscribe and text it to 716-218-8981 or email it to growthexperts at yahoo.com. Now let's get back to the show. Hey everybody, we have yet another amazing guest today. His name is Christopher Lockhead. He's one of the pioneers of the authentic dialogue category of podcasts, a best-selling author, and three-time Silicon Valley public company CMO. He stands out for his unique point of view, sense of humor, hard-fought experience, and whiskey-stained mind. He's also the author of a new book, Niche Down, How to Become Legendary by Being Different. Welcome to the show, Christopher. Thank you so much for having me, Dennis. It's uh, great to be with you. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You know, I'm not quite sure how we connected, but I'm so glad that we did because this this whole topic of niching down, you know, you're not the first to talk about it, but ultimately it is such an important piece of what we do today as entrepreneurs, marketers. And so I'm really excited to dig into that. We're going to talk about how to niche down. We're going to talk about why you need to niche down. There's a, we're going to touch that. You're going to really lend some of your expertise there. But before we dive into that, could you just give us a, a quick backdrop? Because you've got a really interesting background, three-time public company CMO. Can you expand on that a little bit for us? Take a minute or two and just kind of tee it up for us. Sure. I got thrown out of school at 18 for being stupid. I subsequently found out at 21 that I have dyslexia and dyscalculia and a number of other of those types of uh, what today we call learning differences. So like a lot of entrepreneurs, Dennis, you know, I faced a, a situation where entrepreneurship for me wasn't a way up in the world, so to speak. It was a way out. You know, my choice as a young man was to either do a manual labor job or to start a company. So I started a company with my buddy Jack and kind of never looked back. Ultimately, um, I started a, uh, a second company a little bit further down the road, which I ended up selling to a Silicon Valley uh, software company. And as you mentioned off the top, was CMO of three publicly traded uh, tech companies, the last one being an outfit called Mercury Interactive, which we sold to Hewlett Packard in uh, 2006 for about $5 billion. Perfect. And so that experience through 2006, that led you into what you do now, which is obviously you've written a couple of books. You also have a very, very successful podcast. It's, I think it's called Legends and Losers. You know, I'm familiar with it. I think I've listened to a couple of episodes. I definitely need to dive into a little bit further. So tell us a little bit more about what you're doing today. I mean, I know you're writing some books, but I think you're semi-retired at this point, aren't you? Yeah. I, I mean, I guess in the context that I'm, I'm not hustling like I once was as an entrepreneur or CMO, that's for sure. I, uh, as a baseball player, Fernando Valenzuela famously said, America's been very, very good to me. And, um, you know, so we sold Mercury in 2006. And ever since then, 
you know, I've been able to play in life and I've done a handful of uh, consulting things and I've written two books and have started two podcasts. You know, I'm just somebody who uh, is trying to have a really good time and hopefully make a difference along the way. What was the first book, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, the first book's called Play Bigger, How Pirates, Dreamers, and Innovators Create and Dominate Markets. And the folks at Forbes said that Play Bigger was the new how-to guide for building the next Facebook, Google, or Amazon, which is, you know, something I'm stoked they said. And it really is for what you could think of, Dennis, as biggie entrepreneurs. You know, maybe you and I are coming out of Stanford. Uh, maybe we've written some cool algorithm or something like that. We go to Sand Hill Road in Silicon Valley. We raise a couple hundred million dollars and we're playing a very big game trying to design and dominate a big new category. And primarily that's who Play Bigger is for. And that book came out in 2016. And the number one question I've gotten since Play Bigger came out is, that's really cool, but how do the ideas in Play Bigger, particularly this idea called category design, which we can talk about if you like, how do they apply to my career? And how do they apply to uh, what you might think of as small entrepreneurs? more the bootstrap crowd, which, by the way, is where I started in my business life. And so uh, Niche Down is all about you and your career, you as a solo or youpreneur, and you as a small entrepreneur, and how you can essentially become known for a niche that you own. Perfect. Yeah, I definitely want to dive into that. But before we do that, I think your first book, Play Bigger, was published by a publisher, but then you decided to self-publish this time. Could you talk about that, the whys and wherefores, and maybe what you've learned about that? Because I know a lot of my audience, you know, probably have a book in their head, much like me. I have two or three and just haven't put them down on paper yet. I'm curious why you chose to self-publish. Yeah, it's a great question. Play Bigger was published by HarperCollins, and uh, our publisher is Gary V's publisher, is Jack Welsh's publisher. We secured a wonderful advance, and they were great to us. The second time around, there were a couple of reasons. Uh, I have a co-author named Heather Clancy, who's incredibly talented. She's written for the New York Times and Fortune and uh, many others. The primary reason, candidly, was the timetable we wanted to get the book out. You know, when you self-publish, you can finish the book and do some formatting and press go on Amazon and you're live. In the case of working with a major publisher like HarperCollins, you hand them the manuscript. In our case, we handed it in at Thanksgiving and the book came out in June. And so there's this weird six month period where you're like, hey, uh, <laughs> but, you know, they have all the, the mechanisms they go through. So that, that was one reason, just the timeliness that we wanted to get niche down out by. And then the other one is, you know, it's an interesting trade off. The major thing, in, at least in my experience, I only have uh, the two books as a, as a backdrop. The major thing a big publisher gets you is distribution. And I would say their stamp of approval, their brand on your brand. And they put you everywhere. You know, we're, we're in airport bookstores and, you know, we're all over the place with Play Bigger. And, and that's wonderful. The second time around, you know, our thinking was, well, not just time to market, but Amazon is where, you know, roughly 70 to 80% of the books get purchased today, certainly in North America. And I think it's fairly true in Australia and Europe and Canada. So the distribution footprint of Amazon is massive. And, you know, given that you do most of the marketing on your own, we just thought it'd be fun to try it on our own and see what the difference was. So how's it going so far? I know you've got, it's partially released. I think you've got it on digital and your paperback hard copy is going to be coming out soon, but How's it been so far with the launch? It's been great. 
you know, the reaction to the book has been phenomenal. And so we're incredibly um, heartwarmed, if that's if that's a phrase. <laughs> yeah. Our, our hearts are, are, are percolating or getting tickled in the right way. Because you know what it's like. I mean, because you have it with your podcast. It's very similar with a book. People don't write books like this to get rich. People don't write books like this on topics they don't care about. They, you know, in my case, and I think certainly in Heather's case with Niche Down, you know, this is a huge part of our soul that's in this book. And I would say the same thing's true of my first book. And so you, you put yourself into these pages in the hopes of trying to make a difference. And so when you get emails from people who say, I read your book and it changed my life. I read your book and it was one of the five most important business books I've ever read. I want to, you know, or last year, Dennis, I did a speaking tour and, you know, I don't do very much speaking as you and I were talking about earlier, but it's an incredible thing when you give a speech and, you know, there's a line of, you know, 50 to 150 people waiting to meet you and you sit there and you sign books and they shake your hand and they thank you for writing the book and they want your autograph in the book. And, you know, it's, it's just an incredible thing to know that you've created something that is making a difference for people. Yeah, no, I, that's got to be extremely gratifying. And, and you've obviously got a lot to be proud of and a lot to share from your past experience. So here's what I want to do now. Now we're going to dig into the meat and potatoes here. I'm a big believer in niching down. I'm a big believer in being different. As a matter of fact, I posted something on LinkedIn, a LinkedIn update the other day that said better is better. You know, being different is better than better. And my LinkedIn community really rallied around it, had a lot of great comments, but I'm super excited to hear kind of your version of that about niching down to be different. Can you give us a little bit of a framework, maybe something that you could share that maybe whether it's steps or framework or basic, you know, guide to how and why niching down is so important for entrepreneurs and marketers? Yeah, absolutely. Most entrepreneurs, most of us in our careers make an unconscious, unquestioned, unexamined, unthought about decision that we didn't even realize we made, which is I am going to compete in an existing niche, or you could think of it as well as a market category, based on what makes either me as an individual or us as an organization, a company better. And I, I believe in my fiber of my being that the best product or service wins. And that what there is to do is tell the world why we're better. And once the world sees that, we'll win. And it turns out that two things are true about that. One, that's not what the legends do. Every author, every speaker, every entrepreneur, every salesperson, every marketer, every, dare I say, politician, scientist, actor, musician, painter of any kind that you and I admire share in common the fact that they were known for a niche that they own. They were different to your point and not better intentionally. And yet the world teaches us that we should be better. And, you know, one of my favorite examples of this, have you seen the movie something about Mary? Oh yeah. Hysterical. Do you remember that great scene where Stiller picks up the crazed uh, psycho killer hitchhiker played by Harlan uh, Williams and they're, and they're driving together in the car. And they were going to do the six minute abs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then Stiller says to him, well, what are you going to do when somebody comes out with five minute abs? And he starts kind of convulsing, right? And so we're all doing the, well, if, if somebody created a, a niche called seven minute abs, then we'll do six minute abs. And then somebody else does five minute abs. And before you know it, we're in a race to the bottom. 
the legends don't want to be compared to anyone else. They want to carve out a new space that they can own. You know, so a simple example that we can all relate to, Pablo Picasso became the, the most famous painter in the world. And I would argue that his biggest design, his most critical design was not a painting. It was his niche. Because in the beginning, Picasso starts off painting landscapes and flowers and whatever he's painting. And he's a good painter. And if you look at his early work, people say, oh, those are nice paintings. It's only when he makes a decision to be different and most importantly, not just be different, but explain that difference to the world. So he starts painting with you know, bright colors and the boxes that we're all familiar with. And he takes the boob and he sticks it where the ear should be and all the crazy stuff. And at first people look at it and go, this is the work of a drunken, insane person. And he says, no, that's where you're wrong. This is a new type, a new genre of art called cubism. And so that's a classic niche down. And so my question for people is, who would you rather be, Picasso or the 76th cubist artist? And most of us make an unconscious decision to be the 76 cubist artist. And we think, well, we'll just get really good at cubism and then we'll be successful. When in point of fact, it's the people who break and take new ground and specifically teach the world how to think about what they're doing in a very unique way that ultimately end up being the most successful and making the biggest difference. Yeah, that makes sense. And so let me ask you, I love that Picasso example. Who do you think today in business a couple, two or three examples that are doing that extremely well. Can you give us a couple of examples that, of companies, whether they be small and rapid growing or large enterprise tor- type organizations? Can you share with us a couple of examples? Yeah, happy to. So at the high end of the scale, if you are the biggie entrepreneur world, probably the best category designer in the world today is Jeff Bezos at Amazon. Because here is a company that designed and dominated its first category, books for e-commerce or e-commerce books, depending on how you want to think about it. And of course, continued to expand that business. We had John Rossman on Legends and Losers. He was the guy who created their second category king business, which is their marketplace business. And if you look at the history, there was a point in time where it looked like Amazon might actually get crushed by eBay. And of course, we know the opposite happened. And they've continued to do that. They did it with the Kindle. Of course, they did it with AWS, which is maybe the most extraordinary uh, new category design to have a B2C company create what most people believe today is one of the three to five most important B2B tech companies in the world in Amazon Web Services. So that would be at one level. The company keeps designing and dominating new categories. You know, at a small level, there's a whole bunch that I love. I'll give you one of my favorites. They're these two gals, Dina Tripp and Debbie Schwetz. And they got together and decided they wanted to create a bakery. Now, most small entrepreneurs, when they get together to start something like that, they, like most people, think, well, we'll just open a bakery called Dina and Debbie's, and we're going to win because we make great baked goods. Well, they didn't make that mistake. They chose to differentiate. And of course, the core root and differentiate is different. And they purposely niche down. That is to say, they designed a whole new niche of bakery. Today, the category queen, if you will, in a new category of bakery called a Bunt Cake Chain. And they created a chain that is now over 250 franchises of Bunt Cake Bakeries, and they tied their brand to their category. So the brand is called Nothing Bunt Cake, and there's 250 of them. 
And I guarantee you, Dennis, if you had hired 10 or 12 years ago when when uh, Debbie and Dina got started, if they had hired a bunch of, you know, management khaki pant wearing management consultants and said, hey, is there a growth opportunity to create a niche bunt cake bakery? The answer would have come back. No. But they strongly differentiated themselves. They have great products. So I'm not suggesting you shouldn't have a great product, but they massively differentiated themselves. And now they're the category queens in a niche that they designed. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I know everybody's heard that old phrase, you know, riches are in niches. And, you know, I came from the logistics industry. So I was in a B2B service company. I started it in 2003, you know, had no experience, grew it to about $80 million in sales. And one of the things that the questions I get most often is, you know, how did you do it? Or why were you able to survive and thrive while so many other thousands and thousands of 3PLs and logistics companies failed? And one of by far the biggest things that we did different was that we niched down. You know, what I realized very early on, jack of all trades, master of none, particularly in the logistics industry, when you try to be everything to everybody in that industry, because you have freight moving from every point to every point that you can possibly imagine in the US, and you can't be good at all of it. You can't be good at every single mode of transportation. You can't be good at every single lane. You can't be equally good at everything. So what we did is we got really, really niche. And, you know, that was a huge, huge part of our success. I can tell you right now that if we did not do that early on, if we would not have found that or learned that lesson, the results could have been drastically different. So I'm a huge believer in that. Truly, truly believe that is a huge part of that. So anything else you want to add about, you know, about niching down or category design? Yeah, I think another big important point is category designers don't do marketing in any kind of a traditional sense where if it's of themselves or of their company. So the mistake that most of us make is we market the features of our product or service and we hope the world gets it. If we're super savvy as marketers, we market the benefit. Oh, it saves time. It, it saves money. It, it slices and it dices and it's wonderful and it looks good and it'll make you skinny and, you know, your friends will envy you and all the things that, you know, if you get really mature as a marketer, you market benefits. Category designers don't do any of that. They understand that the E in CEO stands for evangelist. And because they are building their niche, they are marketing their niche. And by definition, it's the category that makes the company, not the other way around. The niche is what made your logistics company. Because once people understood the niche, then they go to who's the leader in the niche. And so my point, Dennis, is what legends do is they market the problem because problems when they're seen in exactly the, the way the entrepreneur or the innovator wants them to be seen are what create new niches in the minds of the world. And so they evangelize a problem. And when the world sees the problem the way you want them to, bam, they have to have the solution. And of course, people aren't stupid. So if you're the person or you're the company evangelizing a problem, then you must be the person with the solution. Our minds make that connection. And so if you look at the most, if you go to B2B by way of example, the most legendary B2B marketer in the technology business today is probably Mark Benioff at Salesforce. And he has been screaming at the top of his lungs for almost 20 years now, no software, no software, no software. He's been evangelizing the problem of the old software model. And now the world agrees with him about that problem. And, and as a result, this giant mega niche or mega category called the cloud showed up. And so my point is, 
legendary entrepreneurs, legendary innovators, legendary salespeople market the problem to evangelize the niche. And when the world sees the problem the way you want them to, bam, they will demand the solution from you. That's a great example because Microsoft in the enterprise B2B space probably had that pretty much locked up for a long period of time. But again, they were very software driven. And then Salesforce, of course, of course came in and just took the whole world by storm. <laughs> and of course, you know, that was probably a predominant reason why, because they were able to create that new category. So yeah, that's a great example. And those are great examples. So, hey, listen, we're going to wrap it up, but we're going to, I'm going to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions and then we'll close it out for today. So I know you're not super active in building your own enterprise or B2B business or consulting, but you have a podcast, you've got successful books, and you're a guy who's very well known. What's your favorite growth tool or software that you're using today, whether it be related to your podcast, book launch, social media, or otherwise? Probably the technology that I use the most that makes the biggest difference to me in my world today is uh, Zoom, the communication technology. And we were lucky enough to have Eric Yuan, the founder and creator of Zoom, on my podcast. He's an amazing guy. He's the classic entrepreneurial success story. I could share it with you if you care. But I just think, you know, Zoom is like, imagine if Skype and WebEx and GoToMeeting and all that, imagine if that stuff was absolutely legendary and really worked. (laughs) It would be Zoom. And so uh, I just love Zoom. And I think Eric's an amazing guy. Yeah, no, it's great. I use it now. I've went through every different you know, meeting webinar type platform. And I've really zeroed in on Zoom and I love it. So I totally, totally agree. So besides your two books, Play Bigger and and Niche, you know, Niche Down, what would be a book that you would recommend to my audience, predominantly whether it be around marketing or growth, or maybe even, you know, this whole concept of category design? If you stick in that world, I think to me, the most influential book I read early on in marketing has to be David Ogilvy's Ogilvy on Advertising. Yep. I've heard that a bunch of times. Absolutely. Well, listen, that's amazing. I truly appreciate it, Christopher. I know you're a busy guy. I know you're living in California, so you're probably going to go take a walk on the beach or ride your bike or you've got something going on. So I want to thank you so much for being a part of the show. Before we close out, let everybody know how they can connect with you, but more importantly, how they can get your book. I know I'm going to, I've got it pulled up on Amazon already while we were talking, so I'm going to order it right away. How can they get a hold of your book and where do you want them to go next? Uh, They can get a hold of the book by going to nichedownbook.com and they can also find me at legendsandlosers.com. Perfect. Listen, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I'm sure we'll be talking again real soon. Dennis, the pleasure is all mine. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.